starting with verse 1 through verse 17. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, for your faith is spoken of uh, throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making this request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as uh, among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as, as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. There's a lot in these first 17 verses. Um, many kind of you know, really touchstone passages are quoted just in these first 17 verses. Um, Romans, as I mentioned, and you uh, might have heard me on Sunday, it's one of the most pivotal and important books of the entire Bible. And all of the Bible is important. We understand that, every single verse. And yet uh, some books, uh, kind of the hinge of many other things turn on. And Romans is such that Paul lays out things here that are re-emphasized or made more clear or, or wouldn't be as clear uh, if he didn't write what the Holy Spirit gave him for the book of Romans. So the other epistles, uh, even uh, looking backwards and understanding things in the Old Testament, uh, Romans plays a key role. Dr. Harold Wilmington, in his, um, in his uh, uh, book on um, all the scriptures, he says this, he says, there are 16 chapters in Romans, 433 verses, and 9,447 words in the King James translation of the book of Romans. He goes on to say, if one would attempt to determine the worth of this book by its doctrine, its history, its prophecy, and by the untold millions of saints and theologians its pages have produced during the last 20 centuries, then every one of the 9,447 words would be worth a billion dollars each. Now that's his estimation of the value of Romans because of so many, so many theologians, so many pastors, so many evangelists, so many seminaries, so many books written because this book is that deep. It's that rich. It's that important to understanding this faith that we've received through the blood of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry said this, he said, this epistle to the Romans is placed first. Now you notice that uh, up until you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, they're not epistles. They're historical context. They actually tell what took place, what took place in the ministry of Jesus, then what took place in the early years of the church. But Romans is the first epistle. It's in a letter to a church, right? So all the epistles are letters. And he says, this epistle to the Romans is placed first, not because of the priority of its date, but because of the superlative excellency of the epistle. It is being one of the longest and fullest of all, and perhaps because of the dignity of the place to which it is written. Um, Rome was the centerpiece city of the world in that time. And so the church there in Rome, 
Paul writes to them, and, uh, and they get the longest epistle. They get the, the thickest defense of the gospel, if you will, uh, goes to the church there in Rome. And Paul had uh, spent time with other churches, but he had never visited Rome, as you can see here in the text. He, he longs to get there, uh, but he doesn't. And I think that because he had not been there yet, he does write a lot more to them, uh, doing the best he can uh, to both teach and preach through a letter. He says he longs to get there and preach. Um, Wednesday nights, which we're doing tonight, I think of Wednesday nights more of teaching, but I think of Sundays as preaching and teaching. Now, uh, as a pastor, I'm called to do both. Paul told Timothy, preach the word, and then uh, you're also told to teach. You can't even be uh, in certain positions unless you're apt to teach. So teaching, very important, but preaching is important. Now, Paul said, and notice that he said, I can't wait to get to Rome to preach. Uh, he believes that they've been getting teaching and probably some preaching, but Paul is itching to preach to them, uh, and he's not been there yet. But he does write this lengthy uh, letter, really trying to make sure he covers what the Holy Spirit has shown him as the, all the important facets of the faith in 16 chapters. Now, he didn't, they didn't have 16 chapters. That came later, the division of it. He just wrote what the Lord gave him. Romans has sometimes been called uh, the Constitution and Bill of Rights for believers. Now, we actually don't have any rights, right? But in the context of the fact that it is a, just that document alone, just the book of Romans, with Romans, it gives so much explanation to all the rest of the scriptures. Old and New Testament, it uh, shines a broad light, uh, both forward and backwards uh, in the scriptures. Uh, everything's laid out for us in the book of Romans uh, as far as the doctrines behind our faith. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with, in Romans is where we find uh, the term you probably heard, Romans Road to Salvation, right? It starts in the third chapter. And when we get to the third chapter, we'll make sure everyone here understands what the Romans Road is. The Romans road is not the only way to present the gospel. Uh, I presented the gospel to you guys a couple weeks ago through John chapter 3. Matter of fact, many people that like to use the Romans road like to start with John 3.16, then use the Romans road, but use John 3.16 as a starting point. But is, uh, the, re the, the reason the Romans road makes so much sense and it's so effective is it's so well laid out. Uh, the condition of man, the need for a savior, all have sinned uh, and sh fall short of the glory of God. And so all of that is found in the book of Romans. Now, uh, we'll divide the book up into four pieces. So if you're taking notes, uh, this is the way uh, not only I've divided up, but I meant many others have divided the book up by these same chapters. Different pastors, different teachers, different theologians, different writers will, will title it different than what I've titled, but most everyone's in agreement that Romans breaks up into four sections. And what's just kind of cool about that, it's kind of like four columns. You have four legs to a chair. Romans actually kind of has four legs to a chair. It's very strong in its defense of understanding the need for Christ, the condition of man. So here's the four things. The first is God's law and judgment, pillar number one. God's law and judgment. That's chapters one through five. Chapters one through five, God's law and judgment. Uh, a non-official title, I would call that, is The Cold Hard Facts of Sin and Its Penalty. That's the other name I gave it. I gave it the other first name too, but the second non-official name, The Cold Hard Facts of Sin and Its Penalty. Number two, the more eloquent name, God's Grace and Salvation. Number two, pillar number two, God's Grace and Salvation. And that's chapters 6 through 8, God's grace and salvation. You know, after you get through the first five chapters, you want a big glass of chapters 6 through 8, you know? Grace. It's like a, a gigantic thing, a jug of water, and you're, you're dying of thirst there. And uh, so then chapters 6 through 8, grace and salvation. Uh, I also subtitle that the mystery of redemption. The mystery of redemption. Then the third pillar, which probably if you've read Romans, you, you might have seen, this is odd, this pops up, but it's not. But Paul 
dedicates three full chapters to God's plan for Israel. God's plan for Israel. Chapters 9 through 11. God's plan for Israel. I call that the other mystery. Why Israel and what's next? And we covered a lot of that, didn't we, in our prophecy series. Why Israel and what's next? But God's plan for Israel, uh, chapters 9 through 11. This is so important because we, there's many people in the church today, I don't know, are you familiar with replacement theology? Oh, and I, I think it, it's from, I'll stop short of saying where I really think it's from, but it's from out in left field. That people that actually think that God has replaced Israel with the church, um, I don't know what they do with the book of Romans. I don't know if they skip those verses. I, I understand some of the verses that they twist and mess up uh, in the book of Romans. I, I know which ones that, they, that they'll point to, but to do that, you have to ignore all the others. Uh, Israel is not replaced. Paul was a Jew of Jews, he said. <laughs> he, made, he makes the point to say, you know, I, I, he didn't lose his Jewishness one bit, and he has a great heart for the nation or the house of Israel. Uh, certainly, we're grafted into spiritual Israel, and certainly the, uh, the, um, the apostles and all the Jew, uh, Jewish believers that were saved uh, even before the Gentiles were reached, obviously they were part of the church. But God has a plan for Israel, and Paul lays that out uh, quite explicitly in chapters 9 through 11. So that's the third uh, column or pillar, God's plan for Israel. And then the fourth, God's will for the redeemed. Um, you're probably familiar with chapter 12, right? Present our bodies as living sacrifices, chapter 12. And then from there on, it really is an exhortation to us as believers how we are to live unspotted from the world, which had to be really hard to do living in Rome, wouldn't you think? Rome was like New York City uh, of its day, and then some. I mean, you talk about uh, the Roman Colosseum and all the things, well, that stuff, some of that came later, but you know, uh, a lot of really... Uh, Nasty things went, went on in Rome. And so writing to the Romans to live unspotted, which they apparently were already trying to do, and, and, and all, God had already revealed these things, but Paul lays out uh, the importance of living a pure life and after we've been redeemed, what God's called us uh, to do in this world and, and how to treat one another and how to respond to government and all those different things. He, he addresses all those. as God's will for the redeemed uh, is the fourth column. Now, throughout Romans, Paul emphasizes the Jewish roots of the faith. Very, very uh, uh, prominent. You might have heard when Dr. Hertz was here, he, he referred to uh, Paul as rabbi. You guys remember that? He, uh, he goes, who we call uh, rabbi, I think he's a shul, uh, but he refers to Paul as rabbi and in we don't refer to Paul that often that way, but all it means is teacher, and Paul was an incredibly gifted teacher, also a gifted preacher, also a gifted evangelist. <laughs> he actually had a lot of gifts, didn't he? God gave Paul uh, many, many gifts. And, and so one of these, though, he used uh, is, was Paul's background. And so this Jewishness of the faith is emphasized throughout the book, not just uh, in chapters 9 through 11, but throughout the book. Now, as I mentioned, uh, he writes this letter to a church body he's never seen. He's heard of them. Uh, he, knows, uh, he knows things about them and, and how they're doing, but he's never met them personally. Uh, but he knows how much they are needed, uh, how much they will be needed and are needed in reaching not only the, the Roman area, uh, Rome proper and the, and the surrounding area, around Rome, but also the Western Mediterranean world. You know, Paul had a desire to get all the way to Spain, even. So uh, that Western side of the Mediterranean was on Paul's heart. Paul would never really get to reach the, the Western side all the way. You know, Rome ended up owning land all the way up, as you know, up into England uh, on the British Isles. And, and so he really had a heart to reach the Western part of the Roman Empire, too. But uh, he wasn't going to get there himself, but people he would uh, minister to in Rome, he would get to Rome, but he wasn't going to get there the way you might have thought, right? 
<laughs> he gets there in chains. He had planned to go there and, and do church building and equipping and planting, which he ends up doing, but he does it in chains, and he'll do it from a rented house uh, there in Rome when he finally gets there. But uh, for tonight, as we look at these first 17 uh, verses, I just want to give you that brief backdrop uh, on the book of Romans. Uh, we'll look at three things tonight here, proclamation, plans and prayer, and power. Proclamation, uh, which is the first seven verses here, and then uh, plans and prayer, verses 8 through 15, and then finally just uh, the last two verses that we looked at, 16 and 17, power. Uh, as far as this proclamation, Paul obviously, uh, as all the apostles do when they write a letter, there's some sort of greeting uh, at the beginning, where they kind of acknowledge, except for Hebrews, there's no, <laughs> at the beginning of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, it starts right with Jesus. But uh, the rest of the epistles or the letters, there's a, uh, an introduction of who's writing. And so Paul, his name's right at the beginning, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Uh, before he mentions apostle, he says what? Bondservant. Rome had a lot of slaves. Right? So people that were there, they understood uh, owning of slaves. And, and when you had a slave, the slave was fully the property of the owner. Paul was basically saying, start front and center, I, Paul, fully owned by Jesus Christ. Lock, stock, and barrel, he owns me, my body, my blood, my thoughts, my heart, my spirit, my soul, bondservant. Everything the Lord wants from me, I belong to him completely called to be an apostle. I don't take great issue with churches. I mean, I, I know that there's churches uh, around today that call their pastor an apostle or call so-and-so an apostle. I disagree with them, but it's not one of those things I would break fellowship over. I mean, there's, there's good Bible teaching churches that call each other apostles. And in the sense that Paul even talks about here, apostleship, um, I, I kind of I get where they're coming from. But truly, in the truest sense of the word, apostles called by Jesus were those who had seen him physically and Jesus verbally. I mean, not, not just, you know, you read the, you read the word and, and, you, and you saw him revealed in Scripture, but Jesus personally came to them, Peter, follow me, right? Paul, road to Damascus, it is you, Paul. <laughs> you know, he's like, why are you persecuting me? And he calls Paul. And Paul was called... By the Lord Jesus, he saw him, even though Jesus had ascended to heaven, the Lord came down and showed Paul himself, personally. Um, so, in that sense, uh, apostles were few and far between. And you don't see anybody and everybody writing, I'm an apostle. These, the early church understood the apostles were those that had seen the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ, right? Many of the people were saved but had not seen Jesus, they, but just like you and I, by faith believed that he had nail-pierced nail, nail hands and nail-pierced feet, but they had not seen him, touched him, whereas Paul actually saw the Lord physically, even though the Lord had already risen, he comes to Paul directly, calls Paul directly. So he's not only a bondservant, but he's also an apostle. So he takes the lower servant title first. So just let you know, I'm no better than the rest of you. I'm just a bondservant. However, I am an apostle. And the Lord Jesus has called me for a specific purpose to plant and uh, really encourage the church at this early stage, separated to the gospel. Paul's calling. He's separated to the gospel. Uh, the Pharisees, you know Paul was a Pharisee, right? Everybody knows that? Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews, but he was a Pharisee before he came to Christ. And the Pharisees, the name Pharisee... Uh, really comes from the word, the designation of this word Pharisee, is separation. The reason being, the Pharisees, they were separated to the study of the law. The Pharisees, when people thought of the name Pharisee, they, their connotation in the Jewish mind was someone separated to the study of the law. Whereas I am now, all of you are Christians, but I'm now separated to the ministry of the word. Right? What pastors are separated to the ministry of two things, according to the book of Acts prayer and the ministry of the word, primary. 
And that's not the only things that pastors do, but that's what you're really separated onto, ministry and the Word. Now, all of you are to know the Word, but not everyone is separated to that specific ministry. Well, Paul was separated before he came to Christ. He was separated to the study of the law, and he knew the law, frontwards and backwards. And he was separated unto it, and people knew he was zealous for the law. But now... Notice that he takes the same designation of a Pharisee being separated to the law and says, but I'm now separated to what? The gospel. And so people that knew who Paul was and knew where he came from, that it was an instant for them, that would catch their attention more than it maybe would you reading it. They would say, that's interesting. He just used to play on words. He's now separated to the, he was always separated to the law, now he's separated to the gospel. Paul's knowledge and study of the law. Remember, he had studied the law his whole life. But he had studied it with blinders on, right? He knew it, but there was a lot. He knew He had a lot of information. He was like a computer. It was all in there. But you, you had to have someone pull the information out to make sense of it. It was all just in there unless you kind of had the right keys. Well, the God knows how to hit the right keys, doesn't he? And so God says, all that information that you learned, now I'm going to illuminate it for you. And it'll be purposeful in writing not only Romans, but other epistles as well. And the Holy Spirit would actually flow through him to write these epistles. And in Romans alone, he quotes from the Old Testament more than 60 times. You better know your Old Testament to quote it that many times. Because unlike us, they didn't, he didn't have online Bible search and all that other stuff. He was actually just knowing what he had learned in all these years uh, using the scrolls. So the Paul's calling... If you're taking notes under proclamation, look at Paul's calling there. Second is the promised gospel. The promised gospel. We're still in the first seven verses here. He, he moves right to the gospel. Uh, he set a part to the gospel, separated the gospel, and then he tells us the bedrock truth and validity of the gospel. Verse 2 which he, capital H-E, which he, being God, separated the gospel of God, which he, God, promised through his prophets, all the prophets in the Old Testament, in the Holy Scriptures. So Paul is saying, look, this gospel has been promised from ancient times, and it's all through the Old Testament, through the prophets, Concerning who? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Remember after Jesus rose from the dead, um, he was on the road to Emmaus, right? And there was a couple of men that were like, hey, did you, did you, did you hear about what happened? And Jesus was like, oh, no, fill me in. What, what took place, you know? They couldn't recognize him. God had veiled their ability to see that they were actually talking to the risen Christ. And so there you well, it's really horrible, you know, uh, our master, our Lord, our Savior, he's gone, and you know, everything, everything's a, a total bummer now, and we were hoping that he was the Christ, and, and finally Jesus opens their eyes, and then he explains to them everything. He said that all the law and the prophets were about him. And so Paul's declaring this as well. He says, promise of the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, not just our Savior. What did he say? Our Lord. Good question for you. Is he your Savior and your Lord? He's my Savior, but he's not so much my Lord. I'm pretty much in charge. Go back to verse 1. Bondservant. If you're a bondservant, he's your Lord. Who was born of the seed of David. The prophecies of Isaiah. The prophecies that he'd be born in Bethlehem, the prophecies that he'd be uh, born of a virgin, the seed of David, the house of David, both Mary and Joseph. We just went through this during the Christmas season that both were of the household lineage of David. But that was according to the flesh. See, Jesus is very, <laughs> to be put it as an understatement, unique in so many ways, right? Uh, but of his, of his many differences between us, he was all man and all God. Verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with 
power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Well, Paul squeezes a lot into this opening, doesn't he? He hits the resurrection. He hits the prophecies. He hits the lineage of David. He hits power. He hits the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's all here in just a couple of verses. We're only in verse 4. Now, it's important that he covers each of these things uh, because he would later write to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, 4, he wrote this, he said, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you received a different spirit, which you, uh, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, he was warning them, you may well put up with it. He was getting concerned that they were willing to accept a different Jesus and a different gospel. Paul's like, this gospel has been prophesied from old. It's been revealed in Christ. It's done with the power of the resurrection. And he says in Galatians 1.8, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So Paul starts with the Romans, starts out in this letter to the Romans that this gospel is foretold all the way back by all the Holy Scriptures, all the prophets fulfilled in Jesus. He doesn't spend much time building this case. He just says it quite a matter of fact. This is fact. This is why I'm separated. Because what was foretold for centuries and centuries was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, you know, I now believe I've seen the Lord Jesus I know the power of his resurrection. And this gospel, I believe so much in it that I've separated my entire life to it. And as we go through the book of Romans, you see he will break down the Holy Scriptures. He will go back to what the prophets have written. He will go back and say, all right, this is just my opening. If you read the whole letter, it's basically saying, I'll make sure you believe everything I just wrote here. We don't have time to cover all that tonight, but read the whole book, read the whole letter, and you will see why I am so firmly planted on the rock of Jesus Christ, is what he's basically laying out here with his opening proclamation. Then he says in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Now, specifically the apostleship, the we uh, would be each of the apostles that the Lord uh, has sent out for the defense of the gospel, for the planting of the church. Uh, but in a larger sense, we all are under their apostleship. And so we've received, because he goes on to say that in verse 6, among you also. But look at what it says as far as the intention of our faith. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship for what? For obedience. Now, Peter was the first pastor, and Peter was basically the pastor to the Jewish church, and Paul was basically sent out as the pastor to the Gentile church. Although both of them, Peter did also preach to some Gentiles, and Paul preached a lot to some Jewish folks as well. So both of them preached, they cross pollinated, but generally speaking, Peter spent his lifetime. They're serving the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, although he did have to go up to Simon the Tanner, which really kind of weirded him out. Remember, he had to eat all uh, in, the, in the dream that he had and, and all the nasty creatures that came down on the sheet and, you know, how that, uh, no, Lord, I've never touched this stuff. But Peter generally was the pastor to the Jewish church, and Paul was generally the evangelist and pastor to the Gentiles. However, Peter writes... Because him, as a matter of fact, Peter even affirms, one of the reasons we know all of Paul's letters are Scripture is because Peter says, and the things Paul, so, Paul writes, Peter refers them all to Scripture. Remember he says people twist the Scriptures to their own destruction, and he says that Paul's things are sometimes hard to understand, right? Peter says, Paul, y'all need to know Paul writes deep. <laughs> That's what he was saying. He writes some deep things, but, Paul's, but Peter's saying, it's really good. It is good stuff. Even a fisherman like me can understand it through the Holy Spirit. 
but it's really deep and really good stuff. And he goes on, uh, when he writes his own epistle in First and Second Peter, he says the same thing. Are you familiar with that? He says that we're in First uh, Peter 1, 2, he writes, uh, elect, this is Peter speaking, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. So there you have it. Pastor to the Jewish believers, pastor to the Gentile believers, both write the same thing. You have been saved for obedience. I gave this uh, analogy to a couple other folks I was talking to not long ago. Um, I don't know how many of you, how many of you have pets? How many of you bought your pets just so your pets would be obedient? That's why you bought them. I'm just looking for someone to be obedient in my life. So I bought a pet. Which would really backfire if that's why you bought the pet, right? That's why we don't have pets uh, in our house. One of the reasons why we don't have pets. But uh, it's an interesting thing to say that we were saved for obedience. We were purchased, because the Scriptures say we were purchased by the blood. So God purchased us for obedience, and yet, none of us buy a pet. We don't purchase a pet for obedience. But God doesn't think like we think, does he? And he created us for a different reason than pets were created. Though we would have dominion over uh, the animal kingdom. But he, Paul says it, Peter says we were created for, and then purchased via salvation, for obedience. And then Peter says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. And then Paul says, verse 7, to all who are in the saints, beloved of God, grace to you and peace from God. Both of them say grace and peace right after they say obedience. If you like math, you can put obedience here equals grace and peace. If you want grace and peace, it comes through obedience. Because that's why you were saved. It, it would be like um, crafting. Uh, it would be like crafting a pair of shoes that just fit your feet. You know, you could try and put them on someone else's, but it, it really won't work. You know, Russ is a foot doctor. I can't remember what are those things you guys put into people's shoes. They have to be fitted to the foot, right? Uh, and so, whatever you when, when you when you have something that's fitted just to you, God says, "Look, obedience. I fitted to every believer." But if you choose not to walk in it, you won't have the grace of God manifested in your life. It's not that you wouldn't receive the grace of salvation, but you won't find uh, peace in your life. But grace and peace comes through obedience because that's why we've been saved, for his obedience. That's not the only reason we've been saved, but I find it interesting that Peter and Paul both open with it. There are other reasons we were saved. Uh, but this is a prominent one, is for obedience to Christ. Uh, we know that in the Old Testament, the Israelites were given ten commandments, not ten requests, not ten suggestions, ten commandments. They were called out of Egypt for obedience, weren't they? Because he said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt and you'll go to this mountain where I'll give you the commandments. You mean you purchased us to give us some commandments? Yes. What happens if we don't obey them? you'll be miserable. What happens if we obey them? You're going to love your life. We'll see that this Sunday when we look at the next section of chapter 23. So really, nothing really has changed in Old or New Testament in that respect, has it? It's just fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now let's look at uh, the next section briefly, plans and prayer. Uh, so verses 8 through 15, Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. That's quite a testimony that Rome, the, Rome, the church in Rome had built up, isn't it? Paul couldn't wait to get there, but they were already... You know the old saying, when in Rome, do as Romans do? That Generally, you wouldn't want to live that way. But Paul would say, when in Rome, do as the church in Rome does. You don't want to live like the rest of the Romans. Gluttonous, uh, full of lust, full of covetousness, uh, just a, a deviant 
uh, society with uh, morals that had basically gone completely down the tubes. But the church there, he thanks God that their faith is strong. I thank God that your faith is so strong. It's spoken of throughout the world. I would hope that people in Richmond, as we grow in the Lord, that people would know of Calvary Chapel Richmond, your faith is spoken of well. We're not perfect here. Everyone knows that. But that people would say that your faith is spoken of well. You rightly represent Jesus Christ. And, and, and they were. Verse 9, he goes, and says, God is my witness and I serve in my spirit in the gospel. Paul can't stop mentioning the gospel. He loves the gospel. He's going to mention it again uh, in verse 16. But he mentions the gospel again, that he serves in his spirit in the gospel of his son. Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Always, always thanking them. You know, Philippians 4, 6 tells us, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes the Thessalonican church, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. He says the same thing about the church of Thessalonica. Because you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You welcomed it not as the word of men, but as truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. I, I think a great principle that Paul teaches us as believers is to thank God for other believers in our life. Do you do that? Or do you complain about the other believers in your life? Yeah, just, just the spouse he gave me. You know, that one. Make it a habit to start praying and thanking God for people. Paul was one of the most righteous people that have ever walked the face of the earth in, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he constantly thanked God for other Christians. Christians that were not as mature as him. But yet, I know this is true in my life, how many of you are really encouraged when you get around a younger Christian and you, just their, their new love for the Lord is encouraging to you? I love it. But I'm thankful for Christians of all shapes, colors, sizes, walks with Christ. Just be thankful for them. Thank God that they're saved. Thank God. Hey, we'll say, well, they're, they're still this and they're still that. Well, you should have seen them before they got saved. You think they're difficult now? You should have seen them back in the day. You know? And so Paul thanks. He knows that there's some... Um, warts and scars and things that, uh, that aren't perfect there in the, in the Roman church. But nevertheless, he thanks God for them constantly. And that blessing will be on them for that. And guess who else? Paul. Thanking the Lord for them. Are you thanking God for others? Are you praying for them? He prays for them always. We're told to do that in James 5.16, to pray for one another. Uh, we know that uh, as far as prayer is concerned, as far as uh, longing to see them. He says in verse 11, uh, I long to see you. Now, Paul loved to gather with other believers. Um, me being here on Wednesday night, if, if, if God didn't have me pastoring the church, I would be seated out here just like you. Because I, I love to now fellowship with other believers. It has nothing to do with me being a pastor uh, it'd be the same for me, and it always was before I was called to be a pastor. I'd love to gather. Now, that was not the case before salvation. You've heard me say many times, I, I said it on Sunday, I didn't want to be at a church. I couldn't think of a worse, more boring place to be on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning than in church when there was way cooler things to be doing. But when you come to know the Lord, He not only gives you a love for Jesus, but a love for those that are His body. Remember, the church is not just bought by Jesus, it is Jesus. He says we are part of his body, right? So if you say, well, I love Jesus at the head, but I don't love the foot or the thumb, I don't love the foot, you know, we love all of it. And Paul, he longs to see this part of the body who he's never met before. He looks forward to seeing them. We're told, uh, and you can tell that he does this in verse 12, uh, that is that I may be encouraged. I love verse 12. It should be true of everything we do together. 
as a body. Look at verse 12. This should be true of our church in any kind of interaction we have. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. That verse sums up what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. Unfortunately, and many times, and those of you that have been parts of church splits, and this person leaves, and this person's offended, and blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff, this verse is not true, is it? But it says that we might be encouraged together by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, Paul was more mature spiritually than the people he's writing to, and yet he verifies that they can actually encourage him and he can encourage them, which is why it doesn't matter if you get together with a more mature believer or a less mature believer. The point is, are you getting together with believers? And not just in this setting, uh, where I want to see us grow as a body, that we, we actually have more interaction. You invite someone over for dinner, or you go out, you know, uh, do something together, get to know each other, and iron sharpening iron, right? It doesn't matter if two guys fishing together or golfing together or a couple of ladies having uh, croissant and tea. Is that England or whatever? But, uh, uh, you know, getting together and mutually encouraging one another. I think it's biscuits that they like over there. I mean, I... But you can see Paul's desire to encourage. And not only that, he, he says in verse 13... Uh, not that I want, I want you, he said, I want you to know, brethren, that I often plan to come to you. I, I talked about this back on December 30th, making goals, setting goal, godly goals. Do you notice that Paul actually planned to get to Rome? And it's, what's interesting is, as I already mentioned, he does get to Rome, but it ain't the way he planned. <laughs> but he did plan to go to Rome. And I really believe, again, it, it, it's so important that all of us, we catch a vision from the Lord as we spend time in His Word, we're in prayer, and we set goals. And it's amazing when I look back, many of the goals I've set, I've reached many of them. And yet, like Paul, I've reached them in odd ways that I didn't expect to reach. In other words, I set a goal to get here, and I'll get there, and the, and the course doesn't look anything like what I had. Now, in my mind, I said, all right, if I get to that goal, it'll look like this. I somehow have arrived at some of these goals, not all of them, and that the path doesn't look like what I expected. Can you agree with that? So when you set some of these goals, if they're godly, this is a godly goal. Why would Paul want to go to Rome? Well, I want to go sightseeing. I want to go to the Colosseum and watch some people killed. I want to do this. No, that would have been the goal of other Roman citizens. Paul was a Roman citizen, though he wasn't from Rome, but he was a Roman citizen. Other people wanted to go to Rome to sightsee and to hang out and to do stuff and to take a vacation. But Paul wanted to go to Rome to be encouraged and encourage other believers. And God would say, looking down from heaven, Paul, that is an excellent goal. Remember when Jesus said he would give you the desires of your heart. Jesus wasn't saying, as Ray Comfort says so well, bigger house, better bank account, thicker carpet, right? That's his New Zealand accent. Pretty good, huh? Um, he wasn't saying that Jesus said, if you start praying for a Mercedes, you shall have it. But if, you're, if, you're, if your thought life starts to mirror the Lord, you're walking the power of the Holy Spirit, and you start saying, Lord, I don't make enough money to take a mission trip to India, but I sure would love to go there. Guess what he'll provide for you in time? You'll get to go. I really believe, now, it, the only way that wouldn't, these things wouldn't take place, if God has something better in mind, because Paul, this happened to him, Paul was going to go to Spain, but he didn't go to Spain. Instead, God had him go throughout Asia Minor, right? But he, he it intended... Uh, to go that direction. He never made it there. So, but Rome, he also intended to go, and that one he does get to. And so God will do those things that are godly in our life. Say, man, Lord, um, I would love to be able to attend on Sundays, but my work schedule, Lord, doesn't allow it. You start praying that. I have, how many Christians, how many men are Christian that used to start praying that prayer and eventually they got Sundays off and they, they later would tell you, I've seen it lots of times. 
man, I wish I could uh, have time to go do this for the Lord. As long as they're godly goals, I'm not saying he's going to give you every single one of them, but he'll give you things that are very similar, although they might be a little different path, but they'll be similar. And, And many of them he will provide. Say, Lord, you know, if you would bless my business, I want to be able to bless more uh, missionaries. That's, if that's the desire, and God will test your heart, right? He'll look at your heart and say, I looked in your heart and I didn't see that. I actually saw, I actually saw a bunch of stuff that you wanted to buy. I saw new flat screens. Uh, you said missionaries, but that's not what I'm seeing. So until I actually see what you said in your prayer, you're not getting it. But then when he sees in your heart, say, I looked, in, I looked deep in the side of your heart, and lo and behold, it really is missionaries. Watch your business start to flourish. Fool. Happens. That's how like the owners of Hobby Lobby give like 60%. I think it's like 60% of their income goes to the Lord. I'm talking about of their personal take-home. And I think that these things are true when we have godly plans and we love the saints, and we pray for the saints, and the plans that we set are in accordance with blessing others, right? Jesus first, others, and then ourselves last. God actually says, Paul, I know you want to get there. You're going to get there. And when you get there, it's actually his time in Rome is quite peaceful until he's put to death. It's kind of a, a weird ending, right? But the rest of his time there is going to be quite peaceful, and he's really going to have a really neat time with these believers when he does finally make it there. He says, uh, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. Paul's basically saying, and when I get there, I'm ready to preach. Paul's like, look, um, my ministry, just so you know, is for everybody. Rich, poor, skilled, unskilled. Hey, I hang with Peter. He's a fisherman. I'm a light, I'm schooled in the schools of divinity and the led taught at the feet of Gamaliel, and I have a lot of background and knowledge. But let me let, let y'all know, uh, I'm just a regular guy. I, it doesn't matter if you're a Greek and highly intelligent. Doesn't matter if you're a barbarian, former slave. All people, I count as valuable, and I'm ready to preach to whatever you look like. I don't know what you look like. I know the church makeup. Uh, I, I think this also speaks to God's love for He creates diversity within a body, right? Educated, uneducated, doesn't matter the background, brings them all together, ready in Rome to preach. His plans and prayer, I'm ready to get there, believing that I'll get there. I continue to thank the Lord for you, pray for you constantly. And I think that, again, for us, that's important to just continue to pray for one another continue to thank the Lord and continually uh, set goals and allow God to decide, all right, that is a noble goal, it's a godly goal, but I actually am going to shift your focus to this. And he'll do that. He'll change the fork in the road. Last thing we'll close with, power. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now again, he He starts, there's a little snippet there of the Jewishness, the fact that remember that Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. He came first to the household of Jacob, first to the household of Israel, first to the Jew, and then you are blessed. And and so he's kind of laying the framework, says you see the Jewish roots of the rest of this book. Paul's like, let you know, you are blessed because God first blessed Israel. And Israel was the first recipient of the gospel, that Peter and James and John and all the, all the church there in Jerusalem, they've now been sent out. They first received this incredibly good news, and now you have received it, those of you that are Gentiles. Some of the Roman church, of course, was, was Jewish as well, uh, and then some were Gentiles. But um, then he goes on to say, for the power of God to salvation. He's not ashamed of the, uh, of the gospel. Power of God to salvation. Paul would write to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. He writes, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the uh, redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That with the power of the gospel, 
when someone believes on the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit flows in. We're sealed until the day of redemption. We're pulled out of our former lives. Paul says this in Acts chapter 26. You guys, uh, if you remember the message that, uh, that I preached just a couple of weeks ago, I love, it's one of my favorite passages uh, that Paul tells of Jesus telling him, I now send you, Acts 26, 17 and 18, I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now Paul's going to actually lay that verse out in exhaustive detail here in the book of Romans. Everything I just read there in Acts chapter 26, turning people from darkness, turning them from the power of Satan. The rest of, uh, the rest of Romans 1 here, you see the power of Satan in people's lives. When people reject and resist God, things get crazy wicked just like they were in the days of Noah, right? But Paul's saying this gospel has the power to break the chains of satanic, demonic power. Now, if you remember when Jesus met the man of Gadara, remember how much the man was so filled with a thousand demons, right, that he was naked, cutting himself, running among the tombs. Anyone that tried to uh, chain him, what would happen to the chains? He'd snap them like they were rubber bands. I mean, he was under an incredible incredible amount of demonic power. And that power was so much that it, it struck fear into everybody else. But not Jesus. He strolls right up to the guy like, no big deal. The Word, the, God, the same Jesus that speaks, Paul's like, that same power is actually in the gospel. I, how many believe that? I know we believe it up here, but there's many times I don't believe it here. How do I know that? Because I have really copped out many times where God said, speak the power of the gospel to this person, and I've become afraid. How about you? Or is that just me? The rest of you are just never ceasing with boldness. You are never ashamed of the gospel, are you? Not even one second have you been. No, you know better, right? But... But intellectually, you believe that the gospel has as much power as Jesus did over the man of Gadara, right? And faith is, we have to practice saying, you know what? I am afraid, but God says it has that much power. Paul wrote that it had that much power. Jesus is the one speaking in Acts 26, not Paul. Paul's just reiterating what Jesus said. I will send you to break the power of Satan, and the gospel will be the power. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone. Jew, Gentile, all of planet earth. For it is written and revealed from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. How will we enter salvation? What is the power of the gospel without faith? Nothing. The gospel is still powerful, but if the person receiving it, and Paul, we're not going to be able to cover any more tonight. We'll have to come to an end right here, but Paul will then talk about, as we go through the book of Romans, how faith takes the power of what we've heard, and then we receive this transaction of salvation in our life. Amen?